Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines on the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Beijing has appointed a bishop without consulting or even informing the Vatican of his appointment. Which is a direct violation of the agreement they signed with China in 2018. The Vatican has yet to comment on the matter. A long fought for agreement between the Vatican and Chinese authorities on the appointment of bishops in mainland China has been broken. On April 4, Bishop Shen Bin was installed in Shanghai. The bishop took office in the largest Roman Catholic diocese in mainland China without the Vatican's agreed prior knowledge. The Pope is already making some other news tonight regarding not a speech, but just things that he spoke in this new documentary. And he was pretty open about sex and about dating. The Pope recently made comments praising the virtues of sex. Calling it one of the beautiful things that God has given to the human person. In The Pope Answers, a new documentary film on Hulu, Pope Francis has a conversation with 10 young people aged between 20 and 25. Among them, an atheist, a porn content creator, a non-binary person, a survivor of sexual abuse, and a former nun who is lesbian. They talk candidly about sexual abuse, the Pope's salary, loss of faith, and dating apps like Tinder. I'm Ricardo de Silva, and this is Inside the Vatican. Saints for Sinners offers hundreds of saint medallions, all beautifully hand-painted in New Orleans. Each medal is unique, and there's a saint for everyone and anyone. For animal lovers, for musicians, for mothers, for daughters, these saint medals are all wearable and make great gifts for any occasion. The saints offer guidance, perspective, comfort, and most of all, hope. These one-of-a-kind hand-painted saint medals are tiny tokens of hope. Find your saint online at saintsforsinners.com. Imported from Italy, hand-painted in New Orleans, visit saintsforsinners.com. Good morning, Jerry, from a cloudy but warm New York. Good afternoon from a rather cool Rome, Ricardo. We've had rain and this week promises to be more of the same. So, Jerry, you've just come off Holy Week at the Vatican. It appears to have gone pretty much according to plan, except for the fact that Pope Francis didn't appear at the Colosseum on Good Friday, which you had expected would happen. And also in his homily at the Easter Vigil, he had some rather powerful things to say about the presence of women at the empty tomb. He said, they bring the news that will change life and history forever. 
At the same time, the Pope said, they remember to convey the Lord's summons to the disciples to go to Galilee. What does it mean to go to Galilee? This was his real strong message to everyone in the church and everyone listening, that we need to go back to what was our Galilee, because Jesus started his mission in Galilee. There he met the women. They're the ones he met immediately after his resurrection, the first people he met. And he told them, you tell the disciples to go back to Galilee, and there they will see me. And the Pope was emphasizing, first of all, the women's role in communicating the message of the risen Christ, that Christ had risen from the dead. And secondly, in telling everybody that we have to return to the Galilee where we first met Christ. What about his Urbi et Arbi message to Rome and to the world on Easter Sunday? Again, he pointed out that the, the resurrection of Christ marked the turning point in history. And then he spoke about that Christ's message was, peace be with you. At the end, he said three times he repeated it, peace be with you, peace be with you, peace be with you. And he focused on the conflict areas of the world. And especially, he said, the international community has to work to end the war in Ukraine. But he also spoke about the conflict in Palestine and the Holy Land, the ongoing conflict there. You've done so much work reporting on this. And so we will point our listeners to the show notes where we have links to all your reporting over Holy Week. On April 4th, Bishop Shen Bin was transferred from Hymen, where he had been bishop since 2017, and installed as the Bishop of Shanghai, the largest Roman Catholic diocese in mainland China. Matteo Bruni, the director of the Vatican Press Office, confirmed the installation in a statement on April 6th, saying that the Vatican had been informed of the appointment, quote, a few days prior, but that it had not been informed about the bishop's installation in Shanghai on that day, and that the Vatican had only been alerted to it through reporting in the mainstream media. It appears that the appointment of Bishop Shenbin breaks the Vatican's renewed agreement with Chinese authorities last year on the appointment of bishops. How are we to understand this, Jerry? This is quite a serious breach of the agreement that was signed September 2018 between the Holy See and the People's Republic of China in Beijing. The essence of the agreement was that the Pope would have the final word on the nomination of bishops. And this means, in Catholic understanding of the question, that the Pope names the bishop, but also appoints him to a see. The nomination is also, even when you move from one see to another, it's the Pope who appoints. So one see, one diocese, from one diocese to another. From one diocese to another. What happened here was the Chinese authorities operated independently of the Vatican, they felt they could just move him from one diocese to another. Consultation with the local church, zero. Consultation with the Vatican, zero. And especially, this was just not any bishop. He is the president of what the Chinese call the Catholic Bishops Association, in other words, what we would call an Episcopal conference. But this is not recognized by the Vatican because the 
underground bishops are not part of it. You have to be a member of the Patriotic Association to be part of it. So, Jerry, just before we go on, I mean, just remind us about the makeup of the church in China with the underground church and the official Catholic church so that we're on the same page. You have in China around 12 million Catholics. Roughly half of them belong to what is called the open or the state-recognized church. The other half, or just under half, belong to the underground or the non-recognized communities because they do not accept that they should be part of the Patriotic Association. So the Patriotic Association is associated with the Chinese Communist Party? The Patriotic Association was set up in 1957 to control the church. It is under the guidance of the Communist Party. And this secretive bilateral agreement reached with the Vatican. The Vatican brokered this agreement in 2018 initially, and it was going to be for an experimental period of two years, if I understand correctly, but it ended up being longer because of the pandemic. And then it was renewed in October last year. Four and a half years. In China, you have about 40 dioceses without bishops. And the idea was, rather than having China just impose bishops everywhere, an agreement was reached where the Pope would have the final word. But in actual fact, since September 2018, only six bishops have been approved, of whom two were actually approved already before the agreement. So in four and a half years, the agreement has resulted in the approval of four bishops. Now, here you have two men who were approved by Rome, approved by Beijing as bishops, auxiliary bishops in the diocese who are now completely sidelined. And they bring in this man, Bishop Shen Bin, from another diocese. And he is president of the Catholic Bishops Association, the Conference of Bishops of China, which is not recognized by Rome because the underground bishops cannot participate in it. And moreover, he is a man who plays a political role. He's a member of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Assembly. So he expresses himself on political issue, has publicly approved the policy of Sinicization, that's the policy conducted under the direction of President Xi Jinping, that Christianity, the religion, has to be markedly Chinese, respecting the socialist policies of the country, etc. His nomination has gone down badly in the Diocese of Shanghai. The priests are not happy, the religious are not happy, the lay people are not happy. So Mr. Bruni, the Vatican's press director, responding to this said, for the moment, I have nothing to say about the Holy See's assessment of the matter. Are we expecting the Vatican to assess the matter and speak publicly again as it has before? The Vatican, first of all, I know from many sources, is to say unhappy would be an understatement. They really believe that China has really <laughs> departed from was an agreement. Mm -hmm. and, and this is not the first time this has happened, right? I mean, since the renewal of the agreement in October, which is just four months ago, the Vatican said it had learned with, quote, surprise and regret that an auxiliary bishop had been installed in Jiangxi, which was a district that wasn't even recognized as a diocese. Yes, there's a difference between the number of dioceses that the Vatican recognizes 
And China has a different number of dioceses. Less dioceses, over 90. The Vatican has around 120. So, and there was supposed to be discussion and agreement about this. But again, China has insisted that we want to be sincere and honest dialogue. And yet they go their own way. This really raises the question as how they understand the agreement. Normally, when you make an agreement, people can have different interpretations, but they come together to discuss the different interpretations. But here it was very clear that uh, the Pope is the one who nominates the bishop. And then when a bishop in one diocese is transferred to another, it is the Pope who, who does the nomination. So, Jerry, you're an expert in Vatican-China relations. You've reported on this for a number of years. How are we to understand the future of the relationship between the Vatican and China when China keeps backtracking, it appears, on its agreement? Well, China is, first of all, moving at a snail's pace in the implementation of the agreement. It's a meager result that after four and a half years, you've had effectively four bishops approved, proposed and agreed by both sides, four, in a situation where you have 40 dices or almost 40 dices without a bishop. So this is a snail's pace implementation. Admittedly, in the midst of it, you had the COVID problem, which blocked communication. Secondly, you have now China really not observing the elements of the agreement, namely the nomination of bishops to a diocese. And if they have done now in two cases, they have gone independently of the Vatican in the appointment of a bishop to a diocese. Both of them were bishops before, but uh, it's the Pope's prerogative to nominate the bishop to a diocese. Thirdly, before the agreement was reached in September 2018, the Vatican had a whole list of questions that they wanted discussed and resolved. And the mantra from the Chinese side was, we reach and sign the agreement on the nomination of bishops, and then we will address all the other questions. But the solution to any of the other questions has not been reached. It raises questions that many people are now, even those who are quite in supportive of the agreement, are raising questions. Uh, Pope Francis has said very clearly in answer to one of my questions, he, he said, you know, our option is to dialogue or not to dialogue. But the question here is now, is Beijing really dialoguing? Yeah, I mean, dialogue really requires two people. Right, and there has to be an exchange between two people. For sure, the the, the Vatican will want to raise this question with China. I, I think there's no doubt. Uh, they will have to go back to the negotiating table. The Vatican will want answers and will want clarification, because if this kind of situation were to be repeated again and again, then uh, the whole question of the renewal of this agreement would come under scrutiny. Well, we'll have to leave it there. But after the break, we'll talk about the new documentary film featuring Pope Francis and 10 young Spanish-speaking people, many of whose lives appear to clash directly with the church's teachings on sexual morality.
The Pope Answers. This is the new film on Hulu, which our viewers can watch now here in the US. And if you're listening outside the US, it might be on Disney Plus or on many other streaming platforms available internationally. The interesting thing about this film, Jerry, for me, is how personal it is. I don't think I've ever seen a documentary film with Pope Francis where he is clearly being followed. We see these wonderful scenes on his very messy desk, which made me feel very good about myself. But it's an incredibly messy desk in the Domo Sancta Marta, the house of hospitality where he lives. We see him offering cookies to the filmmaker. You know, We see him commenting about how beautiful Rome is. It's such an intimate and personal film. And then he walks into this warehouse in this district, which I believe is quite an eclectic space in Rome. And there he is with 10 young people between the ages of 20, 25 from Spain, Senegal, Argentina, Peru, Colombia, and the US to talk about some pretty messy topics, right? And he doesn't avoid any conversations. I mean, he's talking with a porn actress, with survivors of sexual abuse, it's quite extraordinary, this conversation. And we're not being paid for this conversation, but I cannot stress how much I enjoyed this film uh, because it it really was a good example of what it is to live out synodality, which is what Pope Francis is calling us to do, really listen to each other. And on multiple occasions, he just thanks the young people for their candidness and openness with him. And it's just so clear throughout the film. What did you think when you watched it? Well, uh, you mentioned some of the people who were there. Remember the young man from Senegal was a Muslim? Yes. There was, there was also an agnostic. Mm -hmm. There was also a refugee from Salvador. Mm -hmm. A former consecrated woman from Peru who is a lesbian. Exactly. And no longer believes. And then a non-binary person, yes. But what is striking was how the Pope came into the room, met 10 young people, and was so relaxed with them, joking with them. And he, he didn't come in to lay down the law. He came in to listen. Yeah. He says, why the hell do you want to talk to a pope? Aren't priests boring to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> yes. He, he Really, it, it was an example of his culture of encounter. I've said this on this show, and I say this all the time. It's, it is the enduring phrase of his papacy, a culture of encounter. And he spoke about topics which are truly in the culture, right? I mean, he spoke about abortion. He spoke about the place of LGBT people. He spoke about Tinder, which is a dating app, really known much more as a sort of site for hookups than it is for casual dating. So let us talk about what he said about abortion, which I thought was very striking because there were young people in the room who clearly had a pro-life position, right, and wanted to defend the church's stance on abortion, especially a young woman from the neo-catechumenal way. And then there was another woman who introduced herself as being pro-choice, right, not necessarily agreeing with abortion in itself, but stressing how important it was to accompany women who had had an abortion, and to be with them, you know, not against them, not sort of throwing the Bible or the church's teachings at them, but truly accompanying them. And the Pope very clearly said, a woman who aborts cannot left alone. Those were his words. And he said, she must be accompanied. But he also, as he does, was very clear. 
He said, we must look at these things scientifically, he said, and with a certain coldness. And he stated that at one month from conception, a human embryo is not, he says, a bunch of cells that got together, but a systematized human life. And then he went on to describe just how, in the same way that you wouldn't hire a hitman to kill somebody and think that that is a normal thing to do, an abortion similarly needs to be looked at with that kind of coldness, which seemed very severe, but he kept stressing how important it was to accompany and be with people and not to judge them for what they had done, but always to welcome and receive them. Yes. What struck me most, I think, was at a certain point he said, using an an Argentine expression, that in terms of the church's teaching on sex, we're in pañales, which means we're really just at the beginning. I mean, there was no hint. He said the church's catechesis on sex is still in diapers. I mean, he he said it in those words, <laughs> referring to catechesis. Yes, you you translated in diapers, but as I said, it's it's kind of early in the day or early in the night. Early in the day, yeah. The expression obviously has different meanings. But uh, I I think that that was very interesting because, as you know, that there's a lot of discussion now started really during the synods on the family, on looking at how we approach moral questions and how we communicate. Of course, this upsets some people who like everything to be black and white. And Francis is saying very clearly, you know, life is not black and white. How many young priests would sit in with a group like that and react like the Pope did with this? and would not be tempted to want to lay down the law and say, this is how it should be, and that is how it should be. Francis believes in listening, and he believes in uh, trying to meet people where they are. And that this is the, this is the essence of the gospel. He always sees himself as a pastor, as a priest, first and foremost. And here he is listening to try to see at which points he can connect with them. I mean, some reviewers who who have clearly not seen the film, I mean, this is clear to me from what they said, have said that this is a superficial interview. I couldn't, it couldn't be further from the truth and you just need to watch it. I mean, you see, as you say, that the Pope is listening for a long time to these young people and then responding to them. He thanks them for the learning that he's received, right? At the end of the film, he says, I learned a lot from you. I thank you for the good you have done to me. And it's clear that there's a, a transformation of hearts and minds throughout this film as they're learning from each other and they're really just having such a casual conversation. It's, it's such a different tenor to, I think, what we have come to expect from the papal office. And what we saw here, Ricardo, was what you could see back in Buenos Aires when he visited the shantytown and sat down at a table with people. And the mother would bring in the daughter who may have had an abortion. Another one bring in a child who wasn't baptized. And you had this ongoing dialogue, ongoing conversation between the pastor and the people. And so Francis says, sometimes you lead. You're in front of the flock. Sometimes you're behind them to pick up the stragglers. And then sometimes you're in the middle of them. Jerry, let's talk specifically about what he said to LGBT people, right? You mentioned that there was a non-binary person in the film. And 
he speaks with this non-binary person and he says to them, in response to a question about the church's treatment of LGBTQ people, he says, there are those who use the gospel to sow hate and then, quote, who live to condemn others because they don't know how to ask forgiveness for their own faults. To which he responds, I don't have the right to cast anyone out from the church. And he says, my job is always to receive. Of course, this repeats what he has said from the beginning of his papacy, who am I to judge? God loves all people. But again, it was so clear in this film as he was talking to this person that they felt received with warmth by the Pope. And what a difference that makes. Yes, I think what he said on this occasion, it was much like what he says to Father Jim Martin, our colleague, in his work, and what he has said to the families of LGBT children. He said, you know, they're all children of God, first. And he cites the catechism for those who think he's departing from it. He is very clear that the church is inclusive. You had many other questions. But obviously, there was a whole area of life that wasn't touched on this. And the selection made by the producer was obviously in an area that he thought would maximize attention. But it is a selection, you know, your wife, Elisabetta Piquet, she interviewed Jordi Evole, who's one of the producers and directors. And they showed the film to Pope Francis in November, And Pope Francis made not a single change, right? And the director actually commented that anybody else with that kind of power would have wanted to tweak the conversation or doctor some of the details, but the Pope accepted it wholesale and made no changes. Yes, but this is normal for Francis. Mm -hmm. He is not afraid to say things and even make mistakes, but this is how we communicate. I mean, you and I are having a chat and we can misspeak, as it were. This is normal in life. And Francis likes to have real conversations. Some don't like that. There are many in the Vatican who who don't like him free speaking like he is. But he says, this is how I am. Well, as I said at the start of this conversation, I cannot recommend this film more. So I recommend that our listeners go and watch it on Hulu here in the US and on other streaming platforms internationally. But I do want to end with one question. You know, just in the week of his 10th anniversary, I think he gave eight interviews to Argentine newspapers. He's written an op-ed in the New York Times. He's done documentary films. You know, John Paul II was known as the darling of the media. Well, Pope Francis seems to be the kind of new darling. Yes, what he is doing is is without precedent. I remember John Paul II and and his encounters with the media, and very impressive, and no doubt about it. But Francis, I mean, he's multiplied. And the media landscape is different. Admittedly, it's a much broader media landscape today than ever. But why does the Pope accept so many invitations to appear on camera and doesn't speak through his official communications channels, the Vatican Press Office, for example? The Pope wants to communicate. He sees part of his mission is to communicate the gospel, and to also to help people understand where where the church is at and what the pope is he he is communicating the message of the gospel the joy of the gospel i, I mean the thing that was striking about this uh, 
encounter with young people was the joy. The, it was really a very happy event. Even though they were touching on very difficult subjects at the time, the overall impression is that this was a happy encounter. But the fact of coming, of accepting to go, and into the Disney world, I mean, we've not had this before. And it was, as you say, it was. it's one of many efforts by the Pope to communicate to people. Because we're in a world, especially in the Western world, where religion is seen as something distant from people's lives. And here is Francis going right into the heart of discussion. Uh, I mean, young people I know who've watched it were fascinated by it. The, the director's own child was fascinated by it, and he is apparently not a believer, was what the director said to us in an interview. So we're going to have to leave it there, Jerry, and recommend the film to everybody. Thank you again for joining me on Inside the Vatican, and I'll see you next week. Thank you, Ricardo, and good wishes to our listeners. Happy Easter. It's an octave, remember? <laughs> Eight days. Yes, it's the Orthodox Easter next Sunday. That's true. So we wish, if we have any Orthodox listeners, we wish them happy Easter. And it's a holy time for our Jewish listeners, if we have any, it's Passover. And for our Muslim listeners, it's still the season of Ramadan. So we certainly remember all God's people on Inside the Vatican in this very holy time of the year. Pope Francis celebrated the 25 years of relative peace since the Good Friday Agreement that brought an end to the three decades of violence and ethno-nationalist conflict between Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland. In his message on the anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement this Monday, he included a prayer for lasting peace and harmony in Ireland. You can read Jerry's story by clicking the link in our show notes. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. It is produced by Maggie Van Dorn and engineered by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Kevin Jackson, Christabel Spielman, and Robert Balliser. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. This show was recorded in the William J. Loschett Studio at America Media in New York. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at RickDSSJ, that's R-I-C-D-S-S-J, and Jerry at Jerry O'Rome, that's G-E-R-R-Y-O-R-O-M-E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America. Just click on the link in the show notes. It's easy to do and the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. And if you have a little time to spare, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Ricardo De Silva. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.